Support for NP Armageddon comes from Tiny Tots Tattoos and Body Modification, reminding parents everywhere that our most valuable resource is our children. So why not up their resale value with some surgical grade decoration? Customize your child to go with that special outfit or auction space to your favorite corporations. At Tiny Tots Tattoo and Body Modification, nothing is off limits. You're listening to NPR Mageddon, National Post-Apocalyptic Radio. We didn't break the news. It was broken when we got here. Promise. From NPR Mageddon in Los Angeles, I am Brian Garcia McMillan Keithley. Well, Blood Pope Juan Castro II has been found dead today at age 48. One of the most reclusive religious leaders of our time, he moved the Blood Church headquarters to an aircraft carrier known as the SS Basilica, so he would no longer have to set foot on what he once described as dirty land made out of dirt with dirty people dirting the place up. He also kept his pee in jars, so yeah. Blood cleric Dimitri Sagittarius announced the pontiff's death to the faithful gathered at the docked aircraft carrier at Broken Glass Beach. Dearest brothers and sisters, our beloved Juan Castro II has returned to that bloodbath in the sky. He passed on at some point during the week, we think. It's kind of hard to tell. He really liked his privacy, so it was only after we noticed the rancid smell emanating from his quarters that we decided to check on him. But yeah, he is totally dead. The blood bishops will meet Monday to discuss Juan Castro's successor. Funeral services are also scheduled and those wishing to pay their respects are encouraged to donate a pint of blood. Blood clerics promise that donations will be properly smeared all over their bodies while they tearfully jerk off in an attempt to be young forever. The Los Angeles secret police are still searching at this hour for known terrorist Hart Fisher, who they say is responsible for the death of thousands of ear mice this past week due to ear infection. Why is Hart Fisher doing this? I'll tell you why he's doing this. Because he hates Los Angeles, for one. Because he's jealous of the freedom of its people. That's number two. And because he was homeschooled, probably. (sighs) Officer X, the head of the Los Angeles secret police, had this to say about the ongoing manhunt. No comment! Fortunately, President Skogor had more than that to say. Horace Fisher is a traitor, a terrorist, and boy does he smell bad. P.U. Terrorism is everybody's business. So remember, if you see something or smell something, say something, and you will be rewarded with a super prize. You dig? When asked what the reward would be for turning in suspected terrorists, President Skogor said he didn't want to, quote, ruin the surprise. Makes sense. In related news, government officials were able to break up a terrorist cell and put a halt to an undoubtedly sinister plot. We go to NPRmageddon's Peter Podgurski for more. Secret police uncovered an illegal printing press operating out of the scrap metal district thanks to the vigilance of one brave little boy. Hi, my name is Moss and I'm a patriot. After hearing about President Skullgore's anti-literacy initiative, Fifth grader Moss Castro knew his parents were up to no good. They were making books, and I learned in school that books are bad. So little Moss Castro did what any patriot would do. 
he turned his parents over to the authorities. Mom and Dad were really mad at me, and they couldn't stop crying. It was annoying. Moss's parents were charged with possession of literature with intent to distribute, and were executed on sight. I'm an orphan. And while his parents are dead, the spirit of democracy is alive and well in one brave little boy. From the Scrap Metal District, Peter Podgurski, NPR Mageddon. There is a pulsating brain advisory in effect for the North Valley. Local authorities say the brain is desperate, possibly high on drugs, and extremely dangerous. NPR Mageddon's Brian Sunalot is on the scene. Brian, what's the latest? Well, Brian, the brain's rash of crime spans two streets and has been violent and unpredictable. Now, Brian, what's truly unsettling here, at least for me, is having to keep calling you Brian when my name is Brian. Does that unsettle you? Not really. We've confirmed that the brain is an ancient specimen escaped from a local lab. Things are developing rapidly here, and I'm not even sure I'm safe where I'm at. I'm Brian with a Y. Great. Like I was saying, authorities are urging everyone to stay in their homes and remain calm. Now, are you a Brian with an I or a Y? I'm Brian with an I. Oh, good, because, I mean, it'd be weird, right, if both of us had the Ys? Yeah, well, it's a pretty common name. I've been told that the Y is more unique. Maybe. Now, the next step is for mercenaries knowledgeable with biohazard emergencies to sweep the area and make sure... Hold on. There is a rustling in the palm tree above me. I hear that Brian means high or noble. And probably the Y means, like, even more noble or something, right? I believe I've spotted the pulsating brain. Other people have told me that Brian derives from an older word meaning maggot. I don't buy it. I'm going to move very slowly and very quietly away. Variants of Brian include Bryant, Bran, Brion, and Brianna. For the ladies. Would you shut up about the name, Brian? I... Oh! 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 It left on my face! Oh! Strange tendrils in my ear. Uh, Brian? <laughs> Brian, are you still with us? Yeah, hi. Brain here. Brain? You mean Brian with an eye? I mean brain with an eye. Is this some kind of joke? Are you in danger, Brian? Don't call me Brian. I'm the brain. Really? Then why do you sound just like Brian, kind of? I hijacked his vital functions, including his mouth. Check this out. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a booger brain. My name is Brian. My brain got turned into a milkshake. <laughs> this is fun. What do you want, brain? Same thing every guy wants. Major tail, if you catch my drift. Hmm. A brain wants tail? Well, newsflash, pal, you're on the wrong end. Nah, you know what I mean. A dame. A skirt. But a real looker. So, a woman. I've been in a jar for a long, long time. Daddy's brainstem is hard as a rock. Ugh. And how are you, as a living brain, going to make it with a woman, may I ask? Well, I'm hooked up to your boy here. I can feel what he feels. I can do anything I want. I can... I can... Help me! Uh, Wait, what was that? I'm trapped in a nightmare. I'm... I'm... Shut up! Shut up! Shut up, you little pussy! Oh! 
Yeah, how do you like that? Stop hitting yourself. Ow! Ow! Oh, then maybe you should stop hitting yourself. Ow! Ow! But you can't because brain's in control. <laughs> Go to hell, you pink, quivering little freak. Ha! Get used to me, boss man. Because I'm taking this jerkwad's place. I'm the reporter now. What does a brain want with a job? A brain's got to make a living. I ain't no bum. I'll report back when I got me something juicy. I'm not hiring you. You're fired. I mean, Brian's fired for being dead, and you're not hired. He ain't dead. But he will be if you don't play along. (laughs) Help me. Help Please, please do what he says. Shut up, you! Shut up! Why in the hell should I hire you? What? You want two Bryans on MB Armageddon? That just gets confusing. You know, it does irritate me. So, what are you thinking? You want to know what I think, Brain? I think that I like the way that you think, Brain. So welcome aboard, new correspondent. Woo! And your first assignment is to finish this story. All right. <clears throat> The pulsating brain plans to continue terrorizing the neighborhood for, uh, another 20 minutes or so. Given that he's an expert tactician and overall friggin' genius, the brain may never be stopped. Pulsating brain and be Armageddon. Thanks, brain. But you know, come to think of it, I'm not really in love with a brain being built on the show either. It's too close to Brian. It's like the same letters. Did you know that three out of four Lost Angelinos can't count to ten? Why? Because they're hungry and they've eaten their own fingers. Don't eat your fingers. You need them for counting. If you suffer from a lack of fingers, try to get really good at using your toes for finger things. Thank you. And now a special message about blood sports. This message is brought to you by Mortimer's Old Fashioned Repurposed Popping Corn. Remember... An extra cup of grit goes into every bag of Mortimer's popcorn, in addition to whatever grit's already there. And the grit means it's good. But back to blood sports. Everyone loves a good fight. And sure, the sight of blood evokes in all of us a priceless tingle, the kind of special, almost sexual thrill we can't get anywhere else. But that doesn't mean there shouldn't be some common sense rules in place when you host your own blood sporting event for fun and profit. So, for some helpful do-it-yourself tips for the construction of your death arena, we turn to our resident blood sport expert, B.J. Schwartz. Thanks for having me on, Brian. Look, when it comes to blood sport, you have to provide at least a 10-foot by 10-foot area for the combatants. Bloodletting in an area the size of a small closet is just not the kind of bloodletting your visitors bartered their precious foodstuffs or loved ones to see. Sure, put them in a steel cage if you have the scrap steel. But make sure the cage is big enough. That's a rookie mistake too many blood sporters make. So what you're really trying to say is, to bring the boom, you gotta have the room. Yeah, I guess so. On the other hand, don't make the arena too big. When that survival instinct kicks in and a losing fighter has the room to run, seconds seem to pass like hours. Really, it's excruciating. Keep your fighters close. Running is for cowards that should die regardless. But you'd be surprised what a broken jaw will do to an otherwise hardy fighter. So if I were to sum it up, what you're really trying to say is less jogging, more flogging. Yeah. Anyway, now to the topic of traps and hazards. Pit traps 
Razor tripwires, panels that trigger acid streams, these are fun the first time or two. But hardcore fans have seen enough of these gimmicks to last a lifetime. Keep it simple. In my opinion, the only hazard on the field should be the blood from the previous fight. Uh, so in summary, you don't need decorations for bloody lacerations. <laughs> I guess if you want to reduce it to an idiotic soundbite, that would be perfect. Mm. Finally, on the subject of interaction. Whether it's an open ring or a cage, make sure audience members can injure, spit on, and otherwise harass the combatants. I've seen too many modern arenas endorse this hands-off approach between fighters and spectators. The best arenas foster intimacy. Oh, I got it. Just remember, fan participation leads to better altercations. God, how I hate you. What was that? Overall, and what I've been trying to stress here, is that if your blood sport's not bloody, you have no one to blame but yourself. And if you're not careful, your spectators will blame you too, and you might find yourself at the wrong end of your own blood sport. Mm. And by wrong end, I mean your own goddamn bloody stump of an arm after an angry fan tears the fucking thing off your body. So, overall, what you're really trying to say- No, 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 no. Please take whatever rhyme you're about to say and shove it straight up your ass. Okay. I hope your listeners learned something today. Good day, sir. Well. Ladies and gentlemen, that was B.J. Crybaby Schwartz, who decided to throw a fit because damn clever quips were dripping from my supple soft lips. Oh, wait a minute. The phone in my booth that nobody has the number to is ringing. Uh, the last person to call me on this phone wasn't a person at all, but a sentient communication satellite named Amos. Um, Amos is equipped with a death laser, so yeah, I'm going to answer this. Uh, hello, you're on NPR Mageddon. Is that you, Amos? Hey, Brian. How have you been? I'm fine. And yourself? Well, I'm good. And you know what? I actually followed your advice. What advice? I got a friend. Not a shitty non-friend like you, but an actual friend. Not the kind of toxic friend that you were always trying to tear me down. But, you know, someone who gets me. Someone I can really talk to. Oh, so you ran into, like, a ghost up there? Maybe, like, a space ghost or something? Not at all. He's earthbound, and he wants to talk to you. Why? Hey, Brian! I bet you weren't expecting to hear from the last living American, the most feared man in Lost Angeles, Heart motherfucking Fisher. How you doing, fuckwad? Oh, what a surprise. Wanted terrorist Heart Fisher's on the line. And apparently he's partnered with Amos the Death Satellite to call into the show. Just two peas in a terrorist pod, huh, Heart? You're not going to no, no, uh, no, give the no, audience... Now tell me, what do you have to say to the charges that President Skogor has leveled against you? All this stuff is fabricated, 100%. President No-Ball's numbskull piece of shit is scared of me. He's scared of the truth, frankly. That's why he wants you to be unable to read. And so he's sending his goons to take care of me. Goons? Oh, my God. That's right, folks, goons. These people are not heroes. They're not heroes of the Republic. So, yes, goons is the right words for these so-called patriots. Well, I'm not going down that easy, fuckwad, and neither are the people of Los Angeles, baby. We're going to be here for a long fucking time. He may have an army of mutants and goofballs and weirdos and mice with ears, but uh, thanks to my good buddy Amos, 
I got a sky-based death laser, motherfucker. And how did you form this partnership? Knowing Amos as I do, is it safe to assume that your relationship is sexual? Well, of course you had to go there, because you don't want to talk about the truth I'm talking about. Of course you want to talk about a dick and a computer's vagina. I'm here to talk about President Numskull and his city hall cronies, this so-called anti-literacy campaign, his bogus anti-food drive. Maybe the people will keep putting up with this, but... I know they won't. In fact, I know they're ready to rise. In fact, I'm sure they won't put up with this anymore at all, Brian. Hence why I'm on the run. And you think you're going to be the guy who's going to lead us out of the nowhere, Blills? I don't believe in shit except for free will and the right to think for myself. Two-Face. And if I know one thing, it's that if there are people that can organize enough to rub two brain cells together, and they're going to get together, and they are rubbing those brain cells, and guess what, folks? They have picked me for the next leader, and it's why you want me to run, but I'm going to stand and fight. And there you have it. Hart Fisher with his wrong think, speaking brazenly against President Skogor and his right think. Will right prevail over wrong? I think not. Oh, I know. I mean, will right not prevail over wrong? I think not. Will right, right will ultimately prevail over wrong. That's what I meant. Thank you. Shop proudly presents Different Can Be Cool Too, kids' poems celebrating genetic nonconformity, featuring Vivian Twelvefingers. Icky Ricky was super sticky. His whole day was really tricky. Leaves and bricks and stones and sticks, it all stuck fast to little Rick. One time during history class, Rick got stuck to window glass. And by the time they pried him free, he got stuck to Mallory. And though they pulled, he wouldn't budge. Then Jenny pulled and stuck like fudge. Then Felix tried, and yes, it's true, eight more kids got stuck like glue. The school then used a steel winch, and freedom should have been a cinch. But just when things were well at hand, the winch snapped like a rubber band. Incredibly, the kids took flight, a giant boy and girl-filled kite. The kid ball dove and started bouncing. The speed it had was quite astounding. The ball went east, right out of town. How would they ever live it down? And though the kids hit every obstacle, their trip was stunningly improbable. It wouldn't stop for anything. It just kept bouncing like a spring. They bounced right through Arizona, past Phoenix, Flagstaff, and Sedona. The vast Grand Canyon was in view, and all the other landmarks, too. And everywhere the kid ball bounced, the ball grew bigger, ounce by ounce. They took a chunk from all they hit. Rick's residue just wouldn't quit. On and on the kid ball flew, past the sea to lands anew. They headed for the Eiffel Tower. Surely that have stopping power. And though they prayed for their cessation, the tower was ripped from its foundation. And with this new accessory, they altered their trajectory. Then somewhere over the land of Greece, the children found a sort of peace. And fears subsided one by one. They even started having fun. The ball went south to Egypt's shores, and there they added even more. The kids became quite spirited to tear the tips off pyramids. Incredibly, their speed refreshed as they flew right 
past Bangladesh. It was a dream or like a movie to hurtle past Japan's Mount Fuji. Would they sink in the Pacific? Nope. Their arc was still terrific. And after all their sights uncharted, they came back to where they started. The kid ball jumped and flipped and skipped, but a hot spring finally stopped their trip. The moisture split the ball in twain. The kids came down like drops of rain. The water helped them get unstuck, and with some help and lots of luck, the kids marched through the school's front door with everyone accounted for. And in that single magic day, the kids learned more than if they'd stayed, and little Rick was called a hero. No more sticky Ricky super weirdo. In time, young Rick gained some stability to mute his very strange ability, though with the power at his command. I don't suggest you shake his hand. That was Icky Ricky by Vivian Twelve Fingers, read by the author, commissioned by Chomp, citizens helping our mutant people. If diversity is strength, then baby we're the Incredible Hulk, who is also a mutant, by the way. So anyway you look at it, it works. Let's hear a defense of the dark arts. He's a dark arts activist and the author of The Eternal Identity. Timothy, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here, Brian. I wanted to ask you about the alt-life movement. Now, I know that alt-life is short for alternative life, and I know it's a movement that views living people as a threat to the so-called dead identity. Timothy, are you alt-life? No, I'm not. I'm alive. I've never identified with the alt-life. You and the press seem determined to crown me the lich king of alt-life, but all I've done is given it a fair hearing in the press. So you do believe in human sacrifice? Well, that's a very life-supremacist framing. Uh, well, the Necronomicon explicitly details the steps required for human sacrifice The Necronomicon and- merely lays out what human sacrifice can do for an individual. It's not condoning murder. That's good journalism. What you sound like, to me, is an apologist for necromancy. Everyone wants to pull out the necromancy smear when it comes to the dark arts. But here's the question I grapple with. Should I let people like you define the dark arts, or should I stand up defiantly and define the dark arts for myself? But the alt-life movement is part and parcel of the larger dark arts community, is it not? Yes, but they're not the boogeyman you make them out to be. Not a boogeyman, but more like a ghoul considering your line of work, right? Some are. Look, all the alt-life wants to do is secure the existence of unliving people and ensure a future for the soon-to-be-dead. And sooner is better than later for your side, right? It seems people in your position are trying to hasten that life-death transition. Not at all! The alt-life's position is merely that dead culture is valuable and the dead are worth preserving. Magically. So you think dead people are superior? The alt-life does not believe in the general supremacy of anyone living. We all have our own unique strengths and weaknesses and possess the sovereign right to dwell unmolested in the native culture we prefer. In our case, death. You are carrying water for the undead. Ugh, do you realize how offensive it is when you use that word? That's our word. I don't even like the term undead. It's a life-normative construction. And the truth is, there are many more dead people around the world than there are living people. But that's not an argument. You're just policing the words that I'm using in order to shut down debate. You're muddying the waters. You invited me on to discuss the alt-life. This is how they think. 
And I personally have never understood the un in undead, because I've also heard unliving used. How could a person be both unliving and undead? A necromancy? These labels are counterproductive. <laughs> and is it counterproductive when your undead allies rip apart the living limb from limb, head to toe, cock to ass, to feast on their delicious entrails? Yes. When the dead and the living mix, bad things happen. Diversity plus proximity equals war. You're precisely proving my point. Let's keep the two separate. You do your thing, we do ours. The problem is that it's not separate. You make it not that way. Uh, call me crazy, but killing living people and raising the dead is immoral. Is it not? To dismiss people who disagree with you as immoral, which is your habit, isn't a useful form of debate. So you're saying you're not a threat? We're a threat in the same way that a jailbreak is a threat to a prisoner. You can't honestly believe that. What you're doing is reprehensible. This is the kind of moral preening. What you're doing, and it's looking a little odd coming from you, who has been consistently wrong about the dark arts, and in the most flagrant and flamboyant way. I'm not going to apologize for believing in the sanctity of life. Again, that's life supremacism. Life is not sacred. It's one among many states of being. We hear so much about fighting for life. What about fighting for death, fighting for the dead? Uh, let me tell you something. I'm interested in fighting for the people close to me while they're still alive. Really? I value life more than you value death. Call me crazy. I'll call you a hypocrite. I remember a former co-host of your morning zoo show, The Weege. A man you killed on air some years ago? Oh no. I will not have you digging into ancient history to malign the good name of a respected radio professional. I wonder if he would agree that you value life. I don't think he would. Don't go putting words into his mouth. Show some respect for the dead. Show respect for the dead? Let me give you that opportunity. The Weege can speak for himself. What? I speak now to the soul who is known throughout this realm as the Weege. No, I no, pierce the veil no, and bridge no. the divide to recall your mortal coil. Timothy! Come now. Rise, rise, I command you, the Weege! Speak! Oh my god, the Weege? That can't be you! Why'd you kill me, Brian? We were one day away from the wet hot summer thugathon, benefiting muscular dystrophy. What? What? Oh, we're fresh out of time. Sorry about that. Gotta leave it there. Bye. You're listening to NPR Mageddon, National Post Apocalyptic Radio. We don't just report the news, we do other things too. We just don't get all braggy about it. And now with our Betatech First Alert Traffic Update, here's John. If the traffic is smooth or if it's slow, here's the person who's sure to know do What can drivers expect out there? Oh, Brian, it doesn't matter. The drivers are ephemeral. Nation states come and go, but the traffic always remains the same. And what can you tell us about the traffic, John? Brian, I'm not sure I have enough time to go over my theoretical model of traffic wave fluid dynamics, but, you know, maybe I'll give it a shot. Time is an illusion, after all. Let's start with October 23rd, 4004 BC, 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm just going to go ahead and assume the 405 is a mess? Yes. That's one of the constants in my model. How did you know? Lucky guess. 
What's less burdensome, caring for an old person who's physically broken or one who's mentally broken? Find out by adopting your own old person with the Broken Elder Adoption Program. From loons to cripples, the program has plenty of discarded seniors in need of a good home, many of whom aren't even that broken. So take your pick and answer that age-old question, what's going to be less of a hassle, a broken body or a broken mind? Careful now, neither is not an answer. And for you adventurous types out there in need of a real challenge, the Broken Elder Adoption Program has plenty of elders who are both physically and mentally broken. Boy, do they ever. So adopt your own elder today. Thank you. Now we move on to the world of science in our There's Always Room for Science segment. Science Rules! Sponsored by Mort's Junkyard. Junk schnunk. Every part's of beauty at Mort's. We're joined by our science correspondent, Laurel Vale. What sort of science do you have for us today, Laurel? Well, Brian, ever since the calamity devastated humankind and plunged us into chaos, one question has emerged. What the hell happened? One group of super scientists are trying to answer that very question, and also trying to do science things along the way. Science things, like their latest invention, which I've come to share with you today. Uh, Laurel, your science today just looks like a telephone. It is. But... Using a combination of temporal science and dark sorcery, it makes very special calls. I told you not to bring any of your goddamn dark sorcery into this station. Oh, come on. It's just a little dark sorcery. Don't tell me you can't handle that. <sighs> Fine. Who are these calls to? Not who. When. This phone can call people in the past. Hmm. The scientists hope that by talking to our ancestors, we will be able to figure out what caused the calamity. And how does it work? Well, you simply mash the keypad a bunch of times until the phone starts ringing. When somebody answers, you can talk to them through the space-time continuum. Would you like to try it? Well, I suppose there's no time like the present. <laughs> oh, Brian, you're such a card. Let's see who we can get on the line as we piece together our mysterious and disastrous past. Hello, this is Starfire, your psychic connection to the stars. If you have a question about the future, I have your answers. You do? Oh, wow, this is actually just what we needed. Oh, I tell you all, I am exactly what you need. Now, what is your question? The future is bright and limitless. Well, no. Actually, the future is a bleak hellscape that leads to an apocalyptic nightmare. Well, I mean, not my future, but your future. Are you threatening me, boy? I do not respond well to threats. No, what I mean is... And who is the psychic here? Me or you? Well, I am from the future. So your future is my past, and that's what I'm interested in, the present, but yours, not mine. Say that again to me. Just tell me what's going on. Okay, boy, you want to know what is going on? i tell you what is going on. I have a bachelor's degree in communications, but I'll be damned if it's what the paper is printed on. And I have debt. Can I pay it off? No, I don't think so. Now that is what is going on. Okay. While I appreciate your situation, it's a bit on the personal side, I'm thinking bigger picture. Oh, the bigger picture is that most of my good years are behind me. You think I like this job? No. What am I to do? Why? 
Why didn't I go into this stem? Everything would have been different if I would have gone into this stem. Stem? What is this stem? Stem. Science, technology, engineering, math. When I was a little girl, I was so good at math. So good. But did my family encourage me? No. They say, find a husband. They say, have a baby. And now look at me. When I go out, I have a baby strapped to my front and a bigger baby strapped to my back and I am tired. Just trying to make enough money to put food on the table, but my husband uses it to buy his PlayStation games. These are all small, insignificant little disasters in your present. I have to know about the giant disaster in your future. Oh, you have to know. Do you know starting salary for STEM is $80,000 a year? Oh, God. Straight out of college. If that is a disaster, then sign me up. Uh, I don't care about your life. From my point of view, I'm pretty much talking to a dead person. I'm just trying to figure out what horrible thing is going to happen in your future. Oh, let me look into my crystal ball. I see in my future an $800 a month student loan payment every month. And I see my landlord trying to evict me so he can use my place for Airbnb. Yes, I got the carpet dirty. I'm a human being. I offer to pay for the rug cleaners. And then he say, oh, no, it's too dirty. It has to be replaced for $3,000. $3,000? I go to Home Depot right now and buy a house worth of carpet. <laughs> Well, that was certainly illuminating. Oh, and uh, what does this button on the side do? Oh, that button sends your call into the future. Nice. Let's give it a go. Caller, you're on NPR Maget. What? How do you know? You called me, pal. Go ahead with your comment. What do you think of today's events? I don't know about your today's events. I'm not there with you. Not what's happening in the booth, jackass. I'm talking about in the world at large. And I'm telling you, I'm not there. That's why I was calling you. Look, big guy, I don't have the time to teach each caller how the radio works. <laughs> don't flatter yourself. I'm a seasoned radio professional. If you're a radio professional, I will eat my spiked shoulder pads. Oh, yeah? Well, get ready for a spicy meal there, tough guy. Go screw yourself and have a great day. Good lord. It takes all kinds, huh? It takes all kinds. Isn't science wonderful? Well, I'd like to think that the wonders we seek around us are the very same wonders we carry within us. So, in a very real and scientific sense, I guess I'm wonderful. Um, but I... Wow, what a great way to end the show. On such a message of hope. I guess science does get it right every once in a while. This is Brian Garcia McMillan Keithley reminding you that to live is to suffer... To survive is to find some meaning in the suffering. Have a wonderful day. NPR Mageddon is written and produced by Peter Podgurski and Brian Keithley. Our mixer, our fixer, our audio trickster is none other than Amy Reed. The theme of NPR Mageddon is by Society Burning. Would you like to show off your love of NPR Mageddon through branded products? Have we got the site for you? Visit nprmageddon.etsy.com and grab some post-apocalyptic swag. Contact us and give us a piece of your mind. Our email is info at nprmageddon.com. And our phone number is 213-437-9506. 
Our Twitter is a lot of fun and hella active, yo. Check it out. Follow us at NPRmageddon. And here is the full cast of Episode 6, Gone Stiff Pontiff. Jello Biafra, Amy Landon, Brian Keithley, Neil Brown, Caleb Lambert, Lejean, Peter Podgurski, Moss Castro, Brian Sunilak, Tay Zonde, B.J. Schwartz, Hart D. Fisher, Jeffrey Peterson, Betsy Baker, Tim Durham, John Delancey, Laurel Vale, and Natalie Watchin. Special shout out to Hart D. Fisher's streaming horror TV channel, American Horrors, and American Horrors Classic. Free on Roku or at AmericanHorrors.net. All day, all night, all horror. We set daily listener records for episode five and all the support has been huge. Word of mouthing is important, so keep word of mouthing, Wastelanders. And of course, we can't end this episode without telling you... Thanks for listening! Next time on NP Armageddon. A new blood pope has been crowned. And she's a real go-getter. Bring forth the knives! We investigate rumors that there are vampires south of the border. I got to tell you, if I were a vampire, this is exactly the place that I would want to be. And we introduce you to this season's must-have item. I find that people are perfectly happy ignoring the suffering of others when it comes to enjoying fantastic consumer products at rock-bottom prices. Plus, real estate tips and traffic. If you leave the body out front for a few days, no one will mess with you. Featuring the voice talents of John Delancey, Barbara Goodson, Andrew Bowser, Christopher R. Ellis, Jeff Bosley, Laurel Vale, Tazon Day, and many others. All this and more in NPR Armageddon Episode 7, probably the meanest episode. <laughs>